This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Monday Twilight Show with me, Hannah Wilson. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by Jessica Lobbett, and she's going to be talking about her first term in her new headship role. So feel free to come in and ask some questions and find out all about how she prepared for the role and how she's getting on. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Welcome to our Monday night show. I think Jess is going to be with us in just a moment. I just see her pop in and pop back out. So um, if you've got any uh, questions, do feel free to pop those in the comments. Um, We've got a very busy week over here at Teach Talk Radio this week. Later this week, we'll be heading down to the bet show um down in the other excel center in london so if anybody is down there do come and see us at our stand we'd love to hear from you and get in chatting to you and get you discussing and joining our shows we've um also i've made a lovely mascot so feel free to come and laugh at me uh if you'd rather do that um but it should be a great uh few days down there so do come and find us at our teacher talk radio um stand um down in in london so feel free to come and pop and see us if you're if you're that way it'd be great to see some of you in person um and uh listen to that i'm just going to pop um our news on we're going to get it nice and early whilst we get jessica all set up this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Ofsted finds itself in the news again as inspections paused for two week period to allow inspectors to undertake mental health awareness training begin again on the 22nd of January. ITV News shared the results of a survey of almost 2000 school leaders, which showed that 97% support the removal of single word judgments. The survey carried out by NAHT Union followed the outcome of the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. The union has urged Ofsted to implement a number of changes, including a mechanism for school leaders to halt an inspection where an inspector's conduct falls below standards, extending the notice period schools receive for inspection, and asking them to revert to a process, however temporarily, of ungraded inspections similar to those conducted during the pandemic. Meanwhile, the BBC reports that Ofsted has apologised fully for the first time for the role it played in Ruth Perry's death. The apology came at the same time as Ofsted responded to the coroner's prevention of future deaths notice. In the PFD response, new Ofsted chief Sir Martin Oliver said, such tragedies should never happen again, and that he apologised sincerely for the part inspection played in her death. Since the death of Mrs Perry, schools judged as inadequate on safeguarding alone are now re-inspected within three months. Ofsted also changed its confidentiality rules to allow heads to speak to colleagues, family, friends and health professionals about outcomes of inspections before the report is actually published. The Department for Education has committed to working with Ofsted to review things during a consultation in the spring, which it is calling the Big Listen. Education unions praised Ofsted's positive steps, but said they were only the beginning. The weather has been front and centre of the news this week, with schools across parts of Wales and Scotland being forced to close due to snow. Icy conditions and weather warnings made for tricky travel and forced school closures in areas badly affected. For those concerned that the post-pandemic impact of remote learning would mean the end of snow days, pictures on social media and local news proved that this was not always the case. But anyone worried that the icy blasts will last can be assured that the weather is set to return to normal over the next few days. Authors, including Sir Michael Morpogo and Mallory Blackman, have written an open letter urging the government to invest in early years reading. According to a book trust survey, only half of children between one and two from low income families are read to daily, with some families struggling to access books and being in need of support. The letter from authors is addressed to both Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Sakir Starmer and says 
it is not right that children from poorer backgrounds are deprived of a life rich in reading. Sir Michael Mopogo is president of the Charity Book Trust and helped launch their new campaign, Get Reading, to support disadvantaged children in family reading. He spoke on BBC's Radio 4's Today programme saying that the younger that children are introduced to the power of stories, the better chance there is of putting them on an extraordinary pathway of knowledge, understanding and empathy. He also said that books need to be free at the point of delivery, like the health service. A DFE spokesperson said, we are committed to raising literacy for children. But Sir Michael said that these efforts are clearly not enough. Finally, The Guardian features an article which looks at research in America that appears to show that children learn better on paper than on screens. The research follows headlines across the pond which focused on the nationwide collapse in reading scores among American youths, citing a four-point drop in the comprehension skills of 13-year-olds, falling below skill levels of 1971 for the worst performing students. Politicians appear to be assigning blame to the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns, with remote learning being labelled as bad for students by the Biden administration. Others blame teachers who they say lobbied for lockdowns. However, the article itself focuses on a new study by neuroscientists at Columbia University's Teachers College, which appears to show there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen because it leads to what they describe as deeper reading. A sample of 59 children aged 10 to 12 were asked to complete a series of tasks, which led researchers to conclude that we should not yet throw away printed books and shouldn't rely on the digital revolution just yet. Further details can be read on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing. Hello, Jessica, I think we've got you. Hi, I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I was like, it's been a while. I've, I've been moved to spaces in my last few shows. I'm like, oh gosh, have I forgotten how to use Podbean? But we got there in the end. And thank you so much for coming and joining my show. Because I know we, we've had this one planned for a while, but you've had everything that could happen to you possibly happen to you on your first term in your headship role. Yeah, it's it's been a lot, but um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. And this tells you about the levels of my IT abilities. I think the fact that I can get on, but, uh, but I'm here finally. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me. Do you want to introduce yourself um, and explain kind of, because uh, it's a bit of a different show, but I'm, I'm really intrigued because I'm doing my master's into leadership. So I'm really excited to kind of find out about kind of your journey and how this uh, kind of new role is going for you. Yeah, so I am now uh, five months into my first headship, um, which is something that I've I've always wanted to be a head teacher from, from the day that I was a teaching assistant. Um, a long time ago and so it's just um, I think it's really important to share 
what it's actually like to start off with because certainly I've had ideas as to um you know I always thought especially as a assistant head and deputy head that I had a clear idea as to what was coming um and it's it, it's such a different job and it's a really really exciting job um so I'm yeah I, I think your first year is a whirlwind anyway um but here I am so <laughs> yeah and, and can you give us some context of, of kind of the size um, of the school and um, did you work at that school before or is this um, a different school that you've moved to? Um, so it's a new school. It's a large, um, comprehensive mixed secondary. It's got um, around 1500 children. Um, it's quite different from all the schools I've worked in, actually, um, on my way up. The, I was at a school in Bath previously as deputy head. Um, and I was there also as assistant head, so I'd had internal promotion. So my only experience of SLT has been elsewhere. Um, and this school is part of a trust and I hadn't worked um, in a mat either. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's similar in the sense of I've always worked in really comprehensive state schools, but it's um, certainly different in terms of systems and processes. Um, and I can't tell you how odd it is to join a school as a new member of staff, as the only new member of staff at that time, and also be the head. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I've I've just swapped schools, and I'm the, was the only new person. And it's certainly a, it's a different experience when you join and nobody else is new. But I can imagine being the only new person and being the head being completely different. Um, so how did you kind of prepare yourself for going into a new school and being the new head as well? Um, I don't think I really, I don't think I hugely prepared myself for the, for the specific school. I feel like I was as prepared as I could have been. Oh, I think we've for... lost you. Are you still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Any, any good? I'll just give um, it a second. Because I can see that it's glowing, but we're just not getting any sound come through for a moment. Um, but I imagine like kind of, I know that when I I had a head previously come into my old school and 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 start and he did he did this different thing which I wasn't expecting he had kind of three minute interviews almost with us everybody in the school and kind of made little notes of kind of who we are what we'd done and what we were planning or wanted to do um kind of progress wise I guess during our time there but uh, that was it was it was a it was a bit different but it was quite a nice way of of getting to know him um in a one-to-one -one basis um i'm gonna can you hear me jeff yeah i can can you hear me yes oh brilliant yes i can hear you now <laughs> um i don't feel like i was hugely prepared for the specific school um but i was as prepared as i could be for headship uh, i'd say um i do think it's as i've discovered it's one of those jobs that i'm not sure you can ever be fully prepared for because it's it is so different to my previous deputy role. Um, when I first got in, my my priority really was just to get to know the school as quickly as I could. Um, because as, as I said, the real challenge was being the only new person and also being, you know, experiencing the feeling of everybody's waiting for you to say something and everyone's waiting for your response to things. Um, and also being really conscious of saying the right things for the context of the school that you're getting to learn. Um, 
So I met with as many staff as I could. Um, I went in for a few days before the, the actual term started and met with staff. And because the good thing about being in a trust is that I have a line manager, whereas obviously if I was in a um, single academy trust, then I wouldn't, that I would only have a governor. So it's been really, really useful to have um, a position above me to, to help me with the context of the school. That's really interesting to say, because uh, we were talking about that on the weekly review show on Sunday, the kind of who supports head teachers and who kind of is giving them guidance on kind of chatting through whether things are a good idea or not. I think it's really important that there's somewhere and some place for people to go in that respect as well. Yeah, I th- I've um, I've also got a coach, which um, has been probably the most invaluable thing. And it's a coach that I actually had um, as a deputy head. Um, when I was training to no, be a coach. I think Jess, I've lost you again. Because um, obviously there's like kind of the head teacher union and things. So obviously, and I, I've always said on other shows that Twitter is is one of those great places that you can also find and connect with other people. And I know there's quite a lot of kind of head um, teachers kind of supporting each other on there, which is quite nice. Um, but it's interesting that it's quite nice. You must feel like you've chosen the right school, especially if if you've gone to a school and the um, the mat is being very supportive. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't know what is going on tonight. <laughs> um, I, I, um, I mean, the school is hugely supportive. They um, they obviously knew when they appointed me that it's my first headship, and I think that there's um, you know you you kind of get different things with that don't you and and a part of that i suppose is is a responsibility for support but i um i'm kind of, i've always been really involved in um leadership development and i'm on the askel um council as one of the southwest reps so i feel really lucky that i've got a lot of really experienced heads who have kind of encouraged me throughout my career and i know that are on the end of the phone um if i need anything um and i also think the most important thing is just to be honest be honest when you um, when you need support and when you don't perhaps know everything. You know, I think that that's one of the things that's really important is the worst thing you can do is to pretend to have all the answers because not only will I probably never have all of those, but also in a new school, it's especially hard. And, and how do you get to know a school quickly? Because it's a lot to kind of take in. Yeah, I think you live there to start off with. <laughs> um, you spend a lot of time there and um, just being out and about. I think, I mean, everybody, all teachers will, you get a feeling even on an interview, don't you, of a school? I think you can really suss out a place firstly just by the feeling of it, um, but also just by watching. I mean, you know, seeing how students are on the corridor, speaking to literally everybody, um, and I, I guess it depends on the kind of person that you are and the sort of leader that you are. I mean, I really think that I'm very warm. Like I, I do my best to be really approachable. Um, and I understand that perhaps, you know, that might not be everybody's first port of call as a new member of staff, but I went the other way. You know, I just wanted people to know really my kind of moral values around why I'd wanted to be ahead. Um, and to, I think you've got to really work hard to earn trust and respect when you first get there. Um, and although the job title helps, of course, um, it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't bring trust, that's for sure. And I think that you do that by just being really open um, and really honest about your intentions and just just kind. Um, and I, I love that. 
that's that, I, I love that because I've always thought that to be in, I, I wonder, I've always wondered I really desperately want to be in leadership and I, I think I'll be really good at it I, I'm similar to you I've, my mum was a teacher and my sister's a teacher and I've always imagined that I'll be a head teacher one day mm. um, but it is that thing I, I wonder whether I'm whether I'm strict enough whether I'm kind mm. of got that persona for the kids to be petrified of me but actually the reason that I get good results is because actually I'm quite warm and I have really high expectations of the students and I challenge them and have utter belief that they can really, really achieve way higher than they ever could imagine. But it's, mm. but I feel like I love that idea of it being a warm, that you can do leadership and still be warm. Yeah. In my last job, I was deputy, the pastoral deputy. And so I was responsible for behaviour. And um, we at, at that school, we called it a nurturing autocracy. And I've really taken that with me. And I think, you know, students in students in that school behaved for me, not because I shouted, you know, I don't really have it in me to shout, but because they the, people know if you care about them, don't they? And I think if you care about them and you're firm at the same time, then you've kind of got the, the perfect balance. So it's important to always have really high expectations, but also to help people reach them rather than, you know, it, I wouldn't have been at all successful if I if I went in anywhere and said, this is what I want, do it. <laughs> because quite, quite frankly, why should people? And, and I agree with that, you know, and I have the same philosophy myself. Staff also need to earn my trust in the same way. But actually, you know, it, it really, I was so surprised with this school, how quickly, um, I, I felt a part of the furniture, which I wasn't expecting at all. And I think it's just about being really open. And as I said, just really honest, you know, if I make mistakes, then I own them. And if, um, if people are questioning things, which of course is the nature of education entirely, then I explain my rationale behind things. Um, and certainly I value people that do that far more than just saying, well, that's what I've said, you know, so, so do it. I had that as an interview question recently. I got asked, like, what would I do if somebody asked me to do something that I didn't agree with? And I, I said, well, I want to know the justification. I want to know if it's going to benefit the students and why they want me to do it, then I'll be 100% on board. If anything that's going to benefit the students, I'm game. But if, if it's just you've got to do it and that's it, then I'm going to struggle with that kind of information like it has to be a justification for it and then I think that's much easier to get staff on board I think in the past um I think since September I have honestly never reflected so much in my life like I think that that's the exhausting part of the job is that unlike with other leadership positions where I really did feel as well I felt fully accountable for the school but to really have your name on the door just feels like a very different situation and you just spend so much of your time analyzing all of the decisions and actions that you're making um and of course you know that everybody else is as well <laughs> so i think you kind of go one of two ways you either get really anxious about it and you worry or actually you become more authentic than you were because because there's no other there, there's no other option um, how do you deal with that pressure um Oh, that it was a big sigh, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I felt that pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know to be honest. I I feel like it's still such it, it's still really early days, and I it's definitely something that I felt. Um, but I also, it's the most privileged job you can have, and I, and I was told that, and I really thought that I knew what that felt like already. But actually, there were just some moments during the school day. 
Um, one is a fire alarm. We should, I know we shouldn't talk about fire alarms, but we did have a fire alarm. <laughs> and um, I, it was the first fire alarm that I'd had there. And I remember staff didn't know me at all, obviously, or neither did students. And um, a member of staff, one of SLT came up to me and said, um, you might need a tannoy. And I was mortified. I was like, I will not need a tannoy. How embarrassing. And I went out to the field and it's the first time that I saw 1500 children and all the staff stood in front of me and rose in silence. And I, it, it was one of those moments that was just mind blowing, to be honest. And I, I feel like there are times where even just if you're out on break duty and you see all the children and they're so lovely and I, it just feels like such a privileged position. And I, I feel like that outweighs the stress that certainly goes with it. You know, you have to keep that in mind. And I think when you're feeling that stress, go and spend time with the children, get out on the corridors and talk to people. That's lovely. Uh, yeah, I, that's the thing. It's, it's just remembering it's it's for the students. But that's the thing. There's so many students in a, in a school like that, especially that all have different needs and mm-hmm. different requirements. So how do you prioritise kind of what you, you needed to um, kind of sort in terms of your school? Or is it is it that you're still kind of in that stage of kind of scanning it and looking at it and then deciding? Or do you go, right, I'm going to, these are what other people have told me need to be improved. How did you kind of decide where to start? Um, so obviously I've arrived into a school that's already got a school improvement plan and, you know, it's already had really clear priorities for a few years. And um, I think the challenge maybe as a new head is that, of course, your um, all heads are going to differ perhaps on what they're, you know, I'd imagine that most people view the same areas of development um, as each other, but of course your priorities might be different. So I, um, I think I probably made a bit of a mistake when I first went in, which is that I felt I understood the situation earlier than I did. Um, And I, I've had jobs in, so I've been a teaching and learning assistant head and I was a head of faculty before that. So I've had a real mix of pastoral and teaching and learning jobs. So I felt like I had quite a strong view of most areas of the school and was probably a bit too confident, to be honest, in assessing the school. And actually, um, again, I did what I always do, which is we did actually rewrite the school improvement plan recently, which you ordinarily wouldn't do mid-year because I said, you know, I haven't pitched this quite right. Now, now that I'm now that I've spent a lot more time with people, I can really feel what the priorities are now. Um, and I'm also in a really fortunate position, which is that I've taken on a really great school already, um, which is a challenge in itself, really, because I think it's it, it can be a real challenge for those schools that are already good to make them brilliant. You know, that's a slightly different job than schools that really need a lot of work or where behavior is a real challenge or. Um, whereas actually I'm really fortunate to have inherited a, a really solid school that just needs those little bits of brilliance now. So, but I, I feel like I know the school very well now, but I, I suspect, you know, I won't know it entirely for a good, a good year or so. And I always think this of leadership, like uh, it, it's a bit of a thankless job. Like everyone will complain upwards 
if that makes sense. So I, I feel like, do you get the positives as well? Do you get, did you get people kind of saying, oh, this is what is great about this school? Or did you get a lot of stuff being like, well, this needs fixing and this needs fixing, like the, the toilets just aren't quite good enough uh, and that kind of thing, all the little things. Cause that's what I picture when people come into schools. It's like all the little things that kind of the teachers moan about kind of get instantly passed up. Um, or were you able to kind of get the good as well? Um, I'd say you've got a pretty accurate view of of what happens. Um, I hear a lot about toilets. <laughs> I I don't know about that one. I think it's important for staff to appreciate, and this doesn't make it okay, but that actually the problems are pretty similar in all schools is the reality. Um, and you can't actually change anything without a team effort. And I really believe that, you know, I've been in a position in other roles where I am absolutely grafting to change something. But unless you can get people on board with you, um, it's pointless. And of course, that's really what our job is. Our job isn't so much about, I don't think the head or the deputy head or whoever can, can be expected to be able to do everything. You know, there's there's no reason why we should have the knowledge in all areas. But actually, I think what you should be really skilled at and what you should work on is getting people on board and being able to get a huge community of people to work together and I think once you've got that um, you'll make it but I mean staff are notorious and I've always been like this as well the first thing you do is you moan don't you because I think as well they they see especially with a new head is it might be somebody that can fix it for them um, it's exactly that isn't it you're like um, you're going to change everything <laughs> yeah I, and there's, a, there's the other thing that I try to be really uh, mindful of was actually the angst that a school feels when a, when a, they have a new head um, and actually I don't want to patronize myself but I've I've done a lot of growing up job wise taking on this role because I it's you have to start you have to stop thinking about yourself <laughs> basically it's you know I was incredibly anxious starting the job as as anybody is starting any new job and actually, it's not the time to think about that. I really did try and think about the fact that staff would rightly be really anxious about somebody coming in because a head, good or bad, can change a lot. Um, so, I, you know, I want staff to feel a part of the improvements and I don't want to do it without them. And I feel like it's with that constant message um, whilst, you know, doing all the other things that I've talked about that, that when, it's, when it's the right time, you can slowly bring in developments and improvements. How did you do? So I imagine you had an inset when on your first day. How do you did you address everybody on the inset, and how did you kind of set up? Because I imagine that's actually probably one of the most difficult ones, where you actually have this quality time with your staff, but you actually don't quite know the school yet. So how do you kind of broach that? It really is the most surreal experience, actually. That inset day was because there's not one familiar face in in the crowd um and people are just sizing you up <laughs> essentially um I'd, i i mean people i i obviously did i did loads of research about you know like new head first inset what sort of thing and twitter is always amazing for that um because you'll get so much information but i decided to go down the route of i can't this isn't going to be informative in terms of school development because i don't know the school yet and you know on inset day it's barely open there aren't even children so Instead, I went, I, I set out my stall, but not really in a, nothing about my expectations, but it, it was just all about my moral imperative as a leader. You know, I, I remember I told staff about what I believe to be the pillars of, of outstanding school improvement. 
Um, and the reality is they're pretty generic, but I think that they give they give staff a real understanding of who you are um, without saying, you know, my name's Jess and these are my hobbies. It was far more about who I am as a leader. I told them a lot about my career and things that I'd done. Um, and most importantly, I told them why I'd chosen that school um, because I wanted them to feel valued. You know, it, it certainly wasn't just a case of, oh, I just desperately wanted to be ahead because I've never been like that in my career. Um, I've always been really careful about the schools that I've chosen to work in um, because it can go so wrong. You know, it needs to it needs to align very clearly with your with your values as a leader. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I like the phrase of you have to get on the right bus. Um, how how did you know that that was the right school for you? Especially because I imagine, especially in that first kind of opportunity in hedge. And can can I be cheeky? Because um, mm. people often say this to me: How many times did you apply for or interview for a head position before you got one? Because some pe- people tell you, "Oh, you've got to go for like ten interviews before you'll actually kind of get one." Uh, so this was actually my first interview. <laughs> oh, amazing! Yes, I um, love it. But I. <laughs> I mean, I would say in all honesty, there is a cl- there is a real shortage of heads right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I think it depends on which area you're based in as well, to be honest, because um, in the southwest, you can, you know, as long as you do well and you work hard, people talk is the reality. You know, it's not a big area. Um, and I think what I would the advice I would give for anybody applying for any leadership job, assistant head and above, is that your face really does have to fit. You can't um, you can't worry too much, to be honest, to start off with. I, I remember my very first head told me, I think I think it was that the, the, the hardest jump actually is head of faculty or head of year up to assistant head because you're in a pool of so many people applying for one role. Um, whereas I'd say firstly, headship, I, I don't feel like there's actually that many people applying at the moment because, well, for, for the obvious reasons, but also if you fit their ethos then you're going to do well you know again i think sometimes people oversell themselves and and worry too much about being the final product but the reality is you know i'd only been a deputy head before so some of the some of the questions and some of the tasks i was doing i could only answer as a deputy head um so you just have to, you know, you've got to make sure you're, you're as prepared as you can be. And I think give them the faith that you're going to make sure that 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 it's a success. I think it's uh, that thing, isn't it, of women as well, especially. Mm-hmm. They say that women need will only apply for a job if they can uh, tick off 90% of the criteria, whereas men will apply for a job if they can tick off 60. Mm-hmm. So actually, like an, another one, because you're obviously a woman in leadership, like, we need to have more confidence in ourselves applying for kind of leadership jobs and not wait till we're the finished product and then apply that actually we need to kind of take the jump earlier if that's something that we feel we can do. Yeah, I mean, that that's one, you know, I've definitely, and I'm sure at least half the population have, will always have imposter syndrome. There's no doubt about that. But I just, it kind of gets boring because it's all I talk about, to be honest. But I just feel like if you really are, authentic in how you're running the school certainly if I ever get to the stage where I'm recruiting ahead that is what I would ask that that is what I would look for you know there are plenty of people that can put on a good performance um that actually it's not going to be a success um and I just think as long as you show that you are continuously learning and that you deeply care which is actually all that matters um you know skills you can learn 
that there's been aspects of the job that I have never had to manage before in my life. But the reality is you just put in the time and you learn it. Um, I, I think the issue comes when you don't, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you've got the confidence to either just delegate and, and not worry about really understanding the mechanics of it yourself, then, then it, that's going to be a challenge. Um, so I would say if, if ever preparing for an interview, just think about your true beliefs on the types of questions that are going to come up rather than prepping a textbook response. Do you think it's more about kind of um, fitting with the the school and the ethos or um, because it was quite interesting, Tom had a show um, a few weeks ago and they were talking about which interview questions and think tasks would people remove. And there was a lady in there who um, was discussing what she got her staff to do and did different interviews and when she had like kind of assistant head and deputy head positions she actually made them do kind of almost almost like a um kind of apprenticeship kind of style they all had a task and they had to discuss in front of each other and justify their opinions Mm -hmm. and then there's some other people there was some math teachers that wanted the data task but not the uh voice panel with the students and i was like i quite like the voice panel like i love i want to see how somebody reacts with the students i think if they can have an interview and not actually come across students in any part of that interview are you really going to get the true person I think that's that's what the school environment is about they definitely should have the students as part of that process um but which was there an area that you felt you thrived in in kind of your interview process um so the head my head interview was obviously my first which sort of helped because firstly I went into it really not even expecting to get through to day two which I think actually probably helped me to perform better because I was really going in to to try it out. You know, I wanted, I, I thought that I would need lots of practice at head in, heads interview and so uh, was probably more relaxed than I would have been otherwise. Um, and also the tasks were so different to those that I'd had for deputy. The um, There were obviously lots of panels. Um, there were lots of different people involved in the interview day in terms of some some external people from the trust um i didn't teach which again was um different to to all my previous interviews um it it was far more around the business of schools um and also lots of questions that really did test i guess my resilience and also my um who i was rather than perhaps my knowledge of a certain area um and so I liked it I I mean I love an interview I don't know why but I've always loved interviews my the worst tasks I remember that I've ever had were for assistant head and I hate those fishbowl tasks you know where they put you all in a room and they kind of give you a topic and it seems to be those who speak the loudest yes um they're they're the worst because I will literally just sit back and watch what's going on um yeah so and, and I I'm kind of a bit bit of a believer in that if they're testing whether you can shout over somebody, that's very much not the role that I need. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, but I, I love an interview day. I think, you know, it's time to get suited and booted and, and hopefully have a good lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the biscuits. It's all yeah. about the biscuits. Um, is it, is it, was it kind of similar when you went into like your SLT kind of meetings? Did you sit back at the start and kind of see what they were were the team all kind of been there for quite a while or or were you all they kind of newish to the roles as well um so it is an interesting one because the school that I'm in has lots of very experienced staff that have been in the school for a long time um and then SLT I'd say are some of the newest 
So um, the longest standing member of SLT, I think, has been there for six years, which in the context of the school isn't that long. Um, and then obviously I'm the newbie. I think that um, probably the hardest thing of getting to know the staff at all is that I don't know how honest people are with you to start off with. You know, that when you go in as the head, again, there's this strange thing where either people are, um, again, sizing you up or they want you to see the best. And so it can, it can be quite hard to get to the kind of nitty gritty of what's actually going on until everybody relaxes a bit. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've done the same when other, you know, even if you have a, a new member of SLT join that's, you know, not the head, you, you do want to impress, you want to show them how good your school is, um, which is lovely, but it's just not that useful in this situation because, um, Certainly, I I didn't I, I didn't go in with the intention of judging. I went in with the intention of wanting it to be the best school it could be. But of course, you need to know the areas for improvement in order to be able to do that. How do you fish through that then? The bits that are kind of the rose tinted glasses of giving you the kind of best impression versus really kind of seeing where the the kind of cracks are that need more than just a plaster. Um. Well, I think I'm probably still doing that. It it's you've got to work, you've got to get yourself to a place where people want to be honest with you. And they're only going to want to be honest with you when they're on board with what you're doing. Yeah. And when they believe that you're going to deliver that. So I think that certainly for the first term, it was a case of speaking to as many people as you can, whether it's corridor conversations or meetings or whatever. Um, and you kind of, you get to suss out the real picture, whether it's actually the words that you're hearing is a different matter. But I mean, you know, schools are just full of information, aren't they? From from outcomes to to talking to children to talking to staff and the hard thing is is that you what i found is you know there's workplace politics everywhere um as is always the case and the difficult thing is is when you don't know what they are yet which which everybody will find whatever role they're in but but again it's quite hard coming in in this position um you know i found myself just trying to read people relentlessly um and then you kind of you sift through and you work out um what's actually going on um but again it's fascinating in terms of just school improvement and really you know i'm a real leadership geek honestly i've spent my whole career reading books and chatting to people and i think to to be a to see it in action and to really be a part of it i'm i'm loving is there anything that you would suggest to read because i'm 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 like very much i'm i've, I've done my mpqs i'm on my um uh, a level seven apprenticeship with extension into leadership and senior leadership and, I, and it's quite nice doing that because although I'm I've, I've previously been um national subject lead so I've over mm -hmm. assisted 46 schools across the country for my mm -hmm. mat as well as on top of my head of department role so I'm not quite there but I've got kind of I've been into schools and assisted with their deep dives and and reviewed curriculums and and seen leadership from that side but mm -hmm. I've not been in it in it um but i find i uh, finding like doing all this ex additional reading and kind of research around it is really interesting because i'm trying to do it like i want to go in as prepared as possible like mm -hmm. i want to feel like i know everything or at least i've i've got everything in my arsenal so i'm not kind of going in and going oh nope not a clue um because mm -hmm. i've I, I, been a trust before where people seem to have gone up quite quickly um so I, I think there's there's something to be said isn't there to kind of making sure you know what you're doing before you go into it but is there anywhere that you would suggest in terms of 
things that you've done to prepare yourself for the role? Mm. Um, do you mean for, are you thinking about for assistant head or do you mean for head? Oh, both for anybody that's listening and for me. <laughs> um, I, so when I was a head of faculty, um, he, I think head of faculty was one of my favourite roles, actually, because basically you're head of your own, you're, you're the head of a tiny school, you know, in your own right. And you're also doing it through subjects that you absolutely love. So I, I definitely learned a huge amount as head of faculty. That was the first kind of experience of properly leading through others. Um and I'd say the big difference in jobs is just the number of people that you need to lead through. I don't think, you know, all the rest is just knowledge that you can learn. And I can over, I can overthink that, you know, I can really stress about not worrying that I don't have all the answers, but actually you can just ask somebody for them. You know, you can, you learn them and you learn them really rapidly. But I think the, the, the art that you really need to learn throughout your career is the art of how to lead, lead through people, which so I think sounds much simpler than it is. Um, headship is definitely the first job that I've really felt that um, I'm really not doing many things myself is the odd thing. You know, as deputy, I was really used to um, all of the jobs that I had. The responsibilities were very much whole school, but they were still mine. Um, and, and I was fully responsible for them. Whereas as head, I'm responsible for everything, but actually not really leading anything. Um, as an actual initiative and that that can be really difficult and it can be really frustrating um, and so I would I would suggest really thinking about how you manage change whether it's in a small project or whether it is across a school um, and also how you best get people to go with you and I think once you've mastered that you can conquer anything um, I certainly wouldn't say that I've mastered it yet, but I think that I've seen I've seen it in action within so many different roles from being a head of department up. Um, and I would just really hone that craft because that that's the big difference between the job that I've got and the job of a teacher. You know, that that really is it. One is around being a really brilliant teacher and, and getting children on board and children to respond and to, to want to learn for you. And the other is about working with adults that are notoriously more challenging, in my view. <laughs> um, and not only ensuring that they are doing everything they need for the school to be success, but more importantly, I think that they want to. Um, and again, that's something that I just, I think it's really interesting to watch how things unfold. Um, and how change happens over an organisation. And of course, schools, you know, it doesn't really matter the size of your school. They're massive, aren't they? Even the small ones in terms of, you know, the amount of people that we're expecting to rub along together and to all work towards a shared goal. So I would say find any projects you can and really consider the mechanics of how you get them to work and what you can do to infuse people and to get them to believe in what you're doing. How do you get people to get on board, especially those? I, I, I just did my last report, which was on leading people. And I, and I talked about kind of having experienced staff that have kind of been there, done that, and maybe not been like, oh, I've, I've seen this and heard this before. Kind of how do you get those people involved? Um, I am definitely one of life's eternal optimists, <laughs> is point one. <laughs> Um, I my view on this has changed massively and I remember really clearly my first assistant head interview and I was so naive to be honest in some of the answers I gave and I truly at that time believed that enthusiasm was contagious I still do to a certain extent I think that you know if you've got the right personal personality a lot of people will get on board but you're always going to get a group of people that are really difficult to shift 
Um, and I've had to come to terms with the fact that sadly, I think there will be a very small minority who won't shift. You know, it's, I think it, it would be really naive to think that you can through determination, enthusiasm and everything else, get everyone on board. Um, I think the first thing you have to do is to really explain why you're doing what you're doing. And I personally don't believe that anybody working in education would, would do this role if they didn't really believe in the moral purpose of it. So I think you've got to latch on to what it is. I think sometimes we can actually forget about the main thing, which is the children. And there can be too much time that's spent on things that actually take up a lot of um, airtime that aren't actually having an impact on the most important thing, which is the education of the children. Um, and then to be brutally honest, if there are some staff that just don't want to be a part of it, then of course, then they shouldn't be teachers. I, I know that that sounds brutal, but I think those people are actually so few and far between. Um, so you really need to work on that group just above them who do care, they care deeply, but actually for whatever reason, they've kind of just lost their, lost their way on, on the journey of what you're doing. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it takes lots and lots of different strategies, but also being a really approachable person and making sure that you are responding to the needs of the staff, which which are as varied as they are for the children. I, I can imagine it being like that, being like when you think about all the needs of your class, it's actually all the needs of your teachers. And I think one of one of the things that a school needs to master but I'm always like I don't know how you do this properly it's good communication mm -hmm. uh what do you think the best way of kind of communicating to staff because I think if, if things get lost in transit that's where things kind of go wrong and you can lose people along the way if they don't kind of see kind of what the aim is but how do you communicate even like on your little things around school how do you make sure everyone kind of knows especially when you you haven't got the time to make sure everyone lower down has kind of heard what you're kind of after how do you kind of keep that structure and keep everyone on in the loop um i would say that at the moment that's something that staff at my school are feeding back is not good enough um and so that's a really good question for me actually because it i'd agree it's not and that's just a system and process thing that can be easily fixed um so first of all make sure that you've got the right systems in place to make sure that communication is effective and that it goes out as it should and that it's not you know, it, it's not a burden, but equally it's delivering the most important things. Um, but I think that probably the, because because that's unlikely to be perfect straight away. Um, I think, again, the most important thing is to work on making sure that staff believe that you will always be doing the right thing. Because even if, you know, what tends to happen is if staff don't feel that, that something hasn't been communicated properly, their, their go to will be fear or, or anxiety around um, it's not going to work or, you know, that's not what we should be doing. But actually, I think, again, if you work on the most important values to start off with, hopefully it gets to the stage where staff believe that, although, yes, perhaps communication wasn't great around that area because because we're all working towards the same thing and everybody is really transparent on what that is, that it's OK. Um, and again, I think it's just really important to, you know, if something's gone wrong, own it. You know, if communication hasn't been great, apologise, fix it. Um, I think people tend not to realise how difficult it is to get everything right. <laughs> I think there's this whole pressure that we have on ourselves as teachers. I think in a way it comes from Ofsted and this whole thing of being outstanding, mm. but that's not 
something that's achievable all day every day like you can't we're not physically possible to be perfect every minute of every lesson it's just not feasible well and again there are very few roles in a school really that don't involve the children you know i know that obviously there's admin teams and there's there's a few different staff but actually you know in in some schools the the additional support isn't that vast anyway um so actually you know most people are whatever our jobs we're working with children all day every day so systems and things like that they take time to develop to be really efficient but i think people need to keep in mind that that's all it is is it it's a system and and you do need them to make sure that the school is running to the best that it can but actually i personally think that you know again the children are the most important thing um and so it's just important to have honest feedback, isn't it? And and also certainly for me as the head to make sure that I'm open to getting that kind of feedback. Because sometimes it can feel, you know, if, if you receive too many negatives in a day, it can be exhausting, but actually um, the feedback's really important. You know, you just need to receive it in a way that, you know, when it's when it's accurate, you need to do something about it. And what's because the the thing with everything that's come out in the news lately with the pressures of Ofsted, mm. um, I certainly didn't realise. Obviously, I felt it as a teacher, but I've always been like, oh, if Ofsted turn up, send them my ray. Like I've made this amazing curriculum, give them to me. Like this is my purpose. This is my kind of. I'm not. I'm not going to use it as a let it get to me. This is just my opportunity to shine. And, and it was having a teacher kind of make me think of it in that way early on in my career that I was never kind of worried about it. But mm. as a head, that pressure of, of that looming kind of call, especially as a new head, that if if they came in and something isn't quite right on kind of juggling the balls, how does that impact you? Or do you have you able to kind of separate it and go, I'm not going to think about that just because of your mental health, you, you, mm. if you start thinking about that, is it something that is on your mind a lot or is it one of those that maybe with this narrative changing that we're trying not to think about it as much? Um, I mean, these may be my famous last words, but there's also part of me that's quite excited about my first Ofsted. <laughs> I, um, I hope there's no Ofsted inspectors listening, actually. But I, <laughs> I, I mean... In all honesty, I want I I welcome the day that they come in and I can show them how lovely my school is. I know it's not that simple. I mean, I've been through several Ofsted inspections and in various levels, um, and I feel like certainly in my most recent one, I you know I was SLT and I was heavily involved in the inspection. And I felt all the stress attached to that. Um, I suspect I won't be quite as jovial when it actually happens, but I do. I genuinely think that as long as the changes are made, that that at the moment the right noises are being made, um, and and as long as their offset are taking into account actually the pressures that are felt across all levels of the organisation, there does need to be a, a quality assurance system for for all of us. And so I think again, as long as it's done in a humane manner. Um, that is that is kind and that is really also looking for the brilliant things that are happening across all schools you know regardless of judgment there are there's magic going on everywhere um i I think that some of them can be really positive i think you know it, it very much depends on the time and place doesn't it but i try not to dwell too much on the worry about it because i hope that when whenever we do get a visit i will just be able to show them you know very honestly as well the areas for development that i'll i should know about 
and if if I don't know how we need to improve then I'm not a very good head so I'd yeah I love that phrase that show them the magic and I, I think that's what it should be I think that's how offset should be it should be out showing them all the greatness of a school the community what you're striving to because it is it is that education is constantly changing the children are changing uh, the technology and the world around us is changing so the children's needs are changing we're never going to be that perfect that we kind of chatted about earlier and it and it is that that we I hope that it will kind of change to the point where they're coming in and really celebrating the good but we always have those bits of improvements because that's that's kind of life I don't think anyone's ever had amazing feedback and not had any bit of but you could improve this or if you challenge yourself you could do that I think it it needs to be like that like how we almost give feedback to students like we're going to praise them but we're always going to stretch and challenge them and and it should be more of that as opposed to hunting out the negatives and this being this pressurized situation if we're doing the best for the students then it should be a good environment I think if I think if they moved to a model where there weren't one word judgments it would be a game changer because the reality is actually if you read any Ofsted report they often are providing you know it's just feedback isn't it the issues all hangs on this judgment that some people spend their whole careers chasing the you know the outstanding others will be you know happy to very happy and rightly so to get a good and I just think if you can move on from that um then actually it's just a group of people that are coming in in the same way as we do day in day out observing practice and make you know really highlighting areas of, of best practice and then also making some areas for development and I think that that's the right thing the issue is just around the stigma of everything isn't it and the impact that 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 judgment can have um but I'm really hopeful that, that good changes are on the way I mean yeah again that might be a naive thing to say but we we don't know at the moment so it feels like it might be hopefully mm-hmm. um one thing I'm going to ask you because I I have no idea how a head does it how do you manage your time really badly at the moment <laughs> um do you mean in school how do I manage my yeah time? like how do you break it down and because I feel like if even if you would I, I think I've I remember a head once saying they always left like one block a day kind of free, but then it always ended up being full and, and they didn't know how to kind of have time for themselves to reflect. Um, so I can't really offer any advice in this because I'm currently genuinely really struggling with it and I've spoken to quite a few people. It's not, um, I don't really mean because of the job itself. It's more that I'm having to really change how I how I behave compared to previous roles. So I'm notorious in all the roles I've had in that I'm just a doer. And actually that's not always the best route to go to start off with. Um, but I, I want to help. So if somebody's struggling, then I'll help them, you know, ha- however that's needed. What I found with headship, because the job really is, I can't explain how different it is. I, some days I live in meetings, like literally eight hours of meetings. Um, And of course, it's a real challenge to have a full day of meetings and then also be able to react to whatever comes up. Um, So I spent my first two terms having to really live with feeling like a bit of a disappointment because if people wanted to see me or if something came up or if somebody needed support of some kind, I found it a real challenge to say, well, I can't because I've got a finance meeting. 
because that's all not only is it not in my nature but it was also just something that I really wasn't used to at all um so I think the most important thing is don't overbook yourself which I really did um and still do to a certain extent I feel like I can get everything done but actually that's not possible because again working with other humans you never really know what's going to happen um so it is important to try and leave a space each day you also especially as a new head because i'm learning so much so quickly um it's you've got to you've got to be able to compartmentalize really really easily because you might go from a finance meeting to a duty on the corridor to a meeting with a teacher to an angry parent to you know all of these different things that are requiring a very different you and you don't have a minute in between um yeah, is there a way to like see to help yourself like see the bigger picture and keep track of all the different areas? Um, I don't know is the honest answer. I'm I'm really good at flitting between things and and delivering on what I need to do at that time. What I'm not, what I'm having to work on is the fact that for some of them, because I haven't done them before, um, I I need a chance to digest. You know, even if I've even if I can learn something really quickly, which obviously sometimes you will and sometimes you won't, I still need that time to actually learn it. Um, and also, if you're a bit of a perfectionist, you want to do it all well. So I, I think the most important thing is just to not overbook yourself, to be honest. I can't think of anything else. And also to really get to the stage where you can rely heavily on the team around you. Um, I suppose it's that delegation, isn't it? How do you kind of delegate well because it's there's a, a I think there's there's people that tell people you need to do this and there's people mm-hmm. that are kind of politely and and good at kind of getting things out of people that they they need doing but in a nice way that they feel like they want to if that makes sense I feel like that's kind of key to getting it right yeah. but how do you kind of delegate well and get what you need out of the situation mm. so the other thing that I've been really reflecting on this year is that my line management style and the way that I lead people is of course not always what works for those people so I I've based it foolishly probably I I line manage in in a way that I like to be managed um and I've always really done some of my best work when somebody said to me right Jess we need you you know you're responsible for this or like one example is when I was told our high prior attainment students are not making good enough progress, do something about it. And I love that. Like, to me, that's really exciting. You, that it, it's really open-ended. Um, you can be creative in how you respond to a problem. And actually, the other thing that I, I'm having to really adapt to is that some people just really like clear instructions. Um, and, I, and I'm having to be really flexible with that. It's still not what I think is the right way of doing it. But equally, some people don't, you know, some people feel anxious with that much flexibility. And actually, they just need you to be really clear with your expectations. Um, you know, sometimes I can go into meetings and I think that they'll be really excited by this. You know, this is a real opportunity, but of course, not everybody feels that way. Um, and actually, that can give nothing but uncertainty to somebody. So again, it's it's just been really interesting because I've got an SLT of seven. Um, and you know they're all very different and in in terms of delegation and how you work through them that their their requirements are all very different um 
but I think that's the kind of that's the really exciting part of school improvement isn't it is working that out and working with them to get the best out of everybody do you get the time to kind of look at the people that need kind of almost talent managing that because I, I imagine it being like, oh, these are the teachers that need to improve X, Y and Z. But do they also bring up kind of like the people like, oh, this person would be really good if we just need to encourage them to do more of this and mm-hmm. and kind of is there enough time to do that as well? Because oh, that's my worry in, in teaching is that the kind of the good people just kind of get on with it and they want to be noticed, but they nobody does and they just work harder and harder and no one notices and then they burn themselves out. But is there time at the top to kind of really see everyone or do you kind of, um, do you have to kind of focus on the ones that need the time most and then kind of hopefully you'll get down to the other ones? Um, I feel like it's, you know, it's probably not that often that staff would feel that that's actually coming directly from me, but I don't know. I don't know whether staff are aware of this or not, but I mean, the reality is, you know, SLT talk about staff all day long in in, in a positive way. You know, the, the SLT have to know the, the staff really well in, in the same way as, you know, teachers know their classes really well. Um, so I feel like we, certainly the intention is to relentlessly develop. Um, the challenge I sometimes have is when people don't want to. And again, that's been quite a learning thing for me. And I don't mean as in necessarily want promotion. You know, I think promotion is a different thing and it's it depends on the type of role you want. But um, some people are, you know, want to go in, do a job and go home. And actually, that's fine. Yeah. You know, as, as long as they're doing that job well, that's absolutely fine. And, and again, there's that saying, isn't there, about how you always make an error when people, um, our natural instinct is to try and appoint ourselves so yeah the same you know if I'm interviewing often the people I love I'll be like well the reason why you love them is because you'll work really well with them because they basically sounded like you in interview (laughs) Um, you know and have the same kind of characteristics that I do about things but actually if there was a team of me it would be a nightmare (laughs) Um, so I think it's the same for it's the same for teachers I you know regardless of how ambitious they are how ambitious they are even for their classes they need to feel cared for is my honest view and they need to feel developed in whatever sense that development is you know whether it's that they want to do um exam marking courses or whether they want to do an mpq or whether they want to start a you know be on the extended leadership team so they can watch what happens um the opportunities have to be there but also it's absolutely fine if they don't want them and and how do you deal with all the different little things that pop up? Because I imagine kind of probably 50% of your day is un, unplanned for in terms of things that can occur. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some examples. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's what happens all the time. I try and mentally block those days out. <laughs> <I think. laughs> is it Or is it that they all happen on a Friday in the afternoon so you just oh, don't yeah. get home? Yeah. Um, to be honest I've always kind of loved that day as well you know like that that's why I loved being deputy behavior because I love the the reactive nature of a school one of the reasons why I think I've really thrived in this career is just because no day is the same um you know I'd never cope in an office honestly so I sort of it's when things happen it's quite nice in this role to get me out of my office and it's an excuse not to do a meeting um and again I I'm lucky in the sense of I am eternally calm. 
you know, I can face a real disaster and my natural response is actually goes the other way is I turn into really, um, my role is to make sure that everything's okay. You know, so I get, I become, I get very pragmatic, which I'm actually not usually like at all. Um, so a day where I'm sort of dealing with a multitude of disasters is a day where I feel really busy and like I'm sorting things out. Um, I think actually for me, the hardest days are the days where I'm really focusing on more holistic school improvement things, because you can't see the impact of that for quite a long time. I, I um, When I was younger, I was a beach lifeguard and we did trauma training about kind of what to do in various scenarios. And I feel like it very much planned me for teaching. It's like, right, that, that needs to be dealt with first, then that one, then that one. And it's, it's, I think there's so much of that in teaching that we don't necessarily consider as one of our skill sets is kind of mm -hmm. crisis management, but definitely something that we've all had to do through the years. It can get ridiculous, like from, you know, a squirrel in the bin that the kids are screaming at to suddenly somebody's really hurt themselves in PE to a fire alarm to, you know, it's just, you know why they make these education shows. I mean, it's fascinating to watch, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, so much of it is true that, that, that people just don't believe you when you tell them that <laughs> this was your day. Um, what would you, is there anything that you wish you knew before you started that would have kind of helped you in starting the transition? Um. I don't, to be honest, I don't think so. Like the reason why I always wanted to be a head teacher was because in every role I've had, whether that's been a classroom teacher, teaching assistant, you know, every role I've had, I feel like the sense, the feeling that you're having an impact is all that matters. You know, it, watching that happen. I, I really do think is incredible. And I think it's a really privileged position to be in wherever, you know, whatever role you're in. And actually, I always just felt I really want to be ahead, not because I had any concept of what that actually meant, but because the impact you can have is on a community. So that's the that's the only thing that changes is you are um, able to have a real impact on families. And I because of my upbringing and because of my career i'm from a real social justice family you know everybody everyone in my family i'm the youngest of five kids so it's like survival of the fittest and um everybody is either nhs or social workers or teachers and so it really matters to me and i think that i could never have prepared for the actual role better because i honestly think it's quite hard to prepare for um but i feel like it's important to prepare really clearly what you want and why you're doing it. Because actually, that's the only thing that, that keeps me going. You know, it's incredibly long hours. The job can be painful at times and amazing at others. But actually, the, the privilege there is to be entrusted with a school is massive. And I just think you've got to keep that in mind. So I think do all you can on your way up, if that's what you're intending to do, to really... Um, to really support others and to really work closely with staff and children to learn your craft so that when you do get to be in that position that you can do the best job possible. Is there anything, any good tips? What would be your tips to somebody that if they're going to be starting maybe next term or in September, kind of what would be your kind of best tips or best bits of advice um, if you're going into your first headship? Um, 
I mean, however many times I've tried to reinvent myself, which is probably every job I've ever started, I'm never successful. <laughs> so I think probably be be yourself. I, I think don't overthink that. The people people respond well to authenticity. I do, you know. And again, that's all about the trust that I talked about at the start. I think be be your true self, and actually that's that's the most important thing. Um, and if you've if you're doing it for all the right reasons, then people will respect that a lot. Um, I think whatever role you're in, in, in education, this whole don't smile before Christmas is nonsense. Um, I tend to often accidentally tell an inappropriate joke on my first meeting, partly because of angst, actually, it seems to be my go-to. But I think, again, that's fine. You know, it's you don't need a facade of I'm terrifying to get people to listen to you. People will listen if what you're saying is, is, is good. Um, and I... I mean, as I've said, like I do, I read relentlessly and I really, um, it's a vocation, isn't it? It's, it's not a job, whatever uh, position you're in. I think it's such a challenging career now, um, you know, to be a teacher that, that it has to be a vocation. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't continue. So I think make the most of that and, and, and learn off people and read as much as you can. You know, there's so much incredible, there's, there's incredible CPD now. Um, do the MPQs. I've I've really valued doing them, um, even if it's just also for a networking opportunity. Um, and it's it, to be honest, it's not dissimilar to me doing this. I you know I, I just really enjoy talking about it and hopefully being able to support others to do it. And I don't profess to have you know half the answers, but I just think that's what's really helped in my career. I've been really fortunate that people I, I feel have been my cheerleader throughout actually and have really helped and encouraged me and I, I want to do the same so I think just make those connections and show model yourself as a good learner as we tell the children <laughs> no I love that especially the bit about the inappropriate joke because that's normally me I normally like make some kind of funny witty line thinking that it'll break the ice and then I'm like why did I say that why <laughs> That. but um but I think it is that it's it's as 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 teachers we are a community and it and especially since I've, I've been on teacher talk radio for just over a year now and it and it's made me realize that we're way more connected even though we're in all these different schools we are all connected and actually there's so much similarity as well between schools in terms of things that people are dealing with and how kids are acting and behaving it's it's all it's all out there and actually rather than I think back in the day isn't it we used to all kind of make our own curriculums and everything and we were all every time some bit new registration came out we were all doing it and it's like actually we're, we're much more of a community and we can support each other um and do it as a kind of a team um I mean I was, I, I'm a big one on well-being does your school do anything good for well-being I, you sound like somebody that'd be amazing to work for um but also do you protect your own well-being as well um Oh God, that is a difficult question, isn't it? I mean, the because I'm obviously still quite new to the school, well-being is definitely an area that I would say needs to be developed, and I've been very honest about that. Um, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is for teacher well-being. Is is one of the problems? I mean, I've I've tried to do as many things as I can since I joined that just shows that I care. So. Um, you know, things like a random treat that they're not expecting is, you know, I've sent out an email to be like, there's bacon sandwiches this morning for everybody off you go to give them a bit of time and to socialize. <laughs> yeah. Well, who doesn't love a bacon sandwich is my first thought, but you know, I'm also really of the, 
of the feeling that actually there, there's lots of tokenistic things in education about staff well-being and I also I worry about getting it wrong because actually I think there's there's so much more isn't there to consider with with the well-being of staff and I think it's turned into one of those real um teachers are notoriously downtrodden and by that I don't mean that they don't deserve to be but I mean it's turned into a really real you know it's publicized everywhere um and certainly in terms of my well-being I've always been at my most content if I have autonomy so if I feel in control of of what I'm doing um and if I'm respected enough to do a good job um and so I try and really instill those things um and also, I just at the moment might be naively relying on people to tell me. And luckily, I mean, I really am in a school where they do tell you. So when things aren't good enough, again, you know, I'll acknowledge it if they're not good enough and do all I can to improve it. Um, but I just think it's such a hard job, isn't it? I, if, if I could if I could run a school where honestly everybody told me that they were intrinsically happy, um, I, I'd have completely succeeded. But I think it's it's difficult isn't it I was th- I was actually thinking the other day gosh you know I could well I could make sure that there's some yoga sessions after school or I could you know and, and those things are great fun and they might help for some people but again it's not that's not a culture of well-being really it's just a it's a gift oh don't don't do what I did I um planned we I, I took the kids surfing um from my school and then um some of the staff said it would be good fun for them to go so I planned a staff surfing well-being session and I broke my foot on the first wave being the only oh. person there that knew how to surf so I was like I, I did nothing for my well-being <laughs> but it was great fun so everyone yeah, I was told kept made everyone keep surfing they had a lovely time <laughs> Oh yeah, my staff would love that. I mean, we're no way near the sea, but oh, yeah. it'd be great. I think it's that. I think that's what we've lost since COVID. And um, not saying we need to go back to the big old days of kind of um, uh, going to the pub for a beer on a Friday mm. lunch, but that kind of community of getting your staff talking, but also kind of giving them those opportunities. Because also then you don't feel like so alone in your classroom if you've got other people. And, I, and also having that opportunity to talk to SLT in a more kind of mm. casual manner yeah. rather than the only time I'm going to talk to you is when I'm going to come knock on your door with a complaint. Mm. Um, I think it, it's nice because then it feels like you're more approachable um, to them as well, I guess. I do think as well, like, you know, the main, I the more I talk about it, the more I really do believe that the, the most important thing of the school is the community, like, that's what it is. And I think that when now we're in an age where, you know, I, I don't know what your school's like, but my school barely has a staff room. Um, it's got lots of faculty workrooms, which are brilliant. But it's, you know, post COVID schools are a very different place. Um, and actually, that's what we have to make sure that we don't lose is the sense of community. Because Firstly, that's incredibly important for, for the children as well, but also in terms of really pushing standards and actually improving the, the experience for the children. I really do believe that that happens when people are working towards a shared goal. And actually, that's really hard to even um, even develop together when you barely see each other. Yeah, um, my my old school had um, diff, three different staff rooms and I mm-hmm. used to make it my mission to go and flip through them all so one day I'd go to lunch in one and they would always talk about pedagogy and, and things that they were reading there was the another one that was mainly my department so I had a couple of lessons with uh, lunches with them and would speak to them and then I'd make sure I go to the other one where it was kind of 
the support team and cover supervisor and they will always talk about behavior so I found it really interesting that different staff rooms talked about different things and I kind of gained quite a lot from that but it is is we don't have that kind of central kind of opportunity anymore as much as we used to and I think teaching is one of those that is 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 it just me or is it does it feel a little bit more difficult than it used to be mm. but I feel like we're maybe on the turn and hopefully we can kind of turn it round and have that kind of community feel but also kind of the community feel in terms of we need to get the the news and the the ways teachers are reported mm-hmm. kind of in a more positive light because there's such amazing things going on i it's it's criminal really i mean i the, the press that teachers get now it's you know it feels to me like it's just been cultivated to make the public feel a certain way um and sometimes I think we don't do ourselves any favours then in how we respond. I can see why we do respond that way, because it's really annoying and completely unfair. But the that's it. I mean, you know, even f- friends and family of mine that have never worked in a school, actually, you have no concept of what it's like. Um, you know, they're crazy places at times, aren't they? And they can be incredibly exciting places. And I think we need to do more of that we need to be better at self-promotion rather than just saying well actually I'm you know I'm right to moan because I've not had the pay rise I should have they need to see actually the incredible things that are going on in schools um and 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 that's how they we justify the pay rises when they can see all the effort I think there was there was a I think there was an article I can't remember what newspaper it was where uh, a news reporter went and was a year two teacher for the day and he said he was so exhausted and he (laughs) hadn't even done his marking so I I do think if people could have a day in the life of our shoes it would be different but especially with the public's kind of persona of that how as a head do you get the parents kind of on board as well with your vision and and reassure them with the change as well um so obviously I've done um information evenings and those sorts of things since I've been there and I also did one just for our new year seven intake um and that was really lovely because it it was lovely to start the school with a new year group because I feel like they'll always be quite special because we've joined at the same time um but I I think I've just done exactly what I've done with with the teaching staff to be honest you know I've told them who I am um I've certainly not gone in and said, this is what I want your school to be, because of course, at that time, it was their school, it wasn't mine yet. So I think it's foolish to kind of pretend otherwise. Um, And again, I've tried to, you know, I saw, so I send a community newsletter once a fortnight out to all parents, which has a message from me on the front. And, you know, I try and make it a, a me message rather than a, you know, by the book, this is what it should include. Um, So I think again, just, just be, be yourself, be approachable. And if parents want to meet with me, they absolutely can. Um, when I first joined the school as well, we had loads of open mornings. So so any parents that wanted a tour with the head could have one. Um, and that was interesting because I didn't know my way around the school either. And it's a really big school. <laughs> <laughs> How did, did you have like a little map to find your way around? Or I can't even understand you... the map, to be quite honest with you. I really couldn't. I mean, there's so many different buildings, but instead I just, you know, some of the parents were in hysterics I would just if one of them said can I see art I'd say probably yes I've got absolutely no idea where it is and so we just ask children and of course it's just another really nice way to to get to know people and to be to be human you know again I think if I'd pretended at that time and then got lost not only would it it would have made me anxious but I'd have looked like a bit of a fool (laughs) 
That's I've just moved scores and I'm getting very lost. But I love they have a big thing where they want the kids to talk to staff and not just say hello. They yeah. they we so I walk down the corridor and the kids are like, "Hello, Miss, how are you? Are you okay?" And I think for the first week, basically all of them went, "Hi, Miss, are you lost?" <laughs> I don't know whether I just had it looked on my face <laughs> or it's like, "Are you going the right way today?" I'm like, "I've no idea. <laughs> I'm gonna find it eventually." And they'd always be like, "Do you want me to show you?" And I'm like, "No, I'm fine. I will find it." But it was just so lovely to have yeah. that kind of. And, and and not be like oh my gosh I, I don't know where I'm going I can't I can't ask a student and and mm. I think it is if you can get that atmosphere in the school and I think that's really important as well to for the students to know that you're human yeah. and you're not this tyrant and person to be scared of that you're just this person that you're almost like another family member that's kind mm. of supporting them and encouraging them and just wants them to do well and you're just going to try and make the best school possible for them to be able to achieve that is just a really lovely opportunity but it's important that the kids kind of know that you're on their side well I think the problem is as well is if you don't do that you know it's it's terrifying starting a new school for children you know when, when kids come up from year six to year seven it's such a big transition isn't it some of them might come have come from a really tiny village school and suddenly be arriving at a split site school with 1500 plus it's um it's a very different experience and it can feel the same for, for new staff. And I think it's just really important, you know, every, I'm awful at directions as well. I mean, it took me an unnaturally long period of time to find my way around the school. And I think that if, you know, it, it was lovely to be able to go up to some children when they're lost as well and just say, yeah, me too. And, you know, us be walking together and be like, never mind, you know, we'll all get there eventually. And I think, again I you know you almost don't want to be given the directions do you because actually that's an invaluable opportunity to walk around with some children and to to really also get to experience what they're experiencing which which is so important because I think one of the things that we sometimes um feel too confident about is that actually we understand what the student experience looks like at our school um, and I think that can be a real challenge. You know, teachers know what it's like in their classroom at that school. But obviously in secondary school, kids are moving between five different teachers and, and experiencing such different expectations in each room. Even if there's really clear expectations across the school, again, due to our personalities, that's just not the case. So I think any opportunity to really live the life of a student for a bit is invaluable. I always say to my trainees, go follow the students for a couple of days. Like yeah. I, I think it's one of those. And I one of my favourite um, books is is Legacy, which is uh, written by the uh, coach for the All Blacks. Yeah. And there's a bit in there where he says about um, what is it sweep sweeping the floor, and it's mm -hmm. about no one's too big and and too high up to to sweep the floor. When we finish the match, whether we win or lose, we all clean up together and we pack away together and we leave together and we train together everything's done together and it's and that kind of always stuck with me and I had the best head I ever worked under um I remember starting and he was outside my room picking up the litter outside my my classroom and I was just like oh, this is a bit odd for a head to be doing this but as he was doing it he was wandering around chatting to all the students chatting to staff as they're wandering around and it's now as I've got more kind of into leadership I was like I completely understand what you're doing now. You're showing that you're not too big to be out here at break time picking up the litter, but also you're using that opportunity to make yourself present and available to students and have those chats and have those little kind of niggles of hearing what's going on. And I just think it's 
if it's done right being a head is so amazing but the workload I, I just I don't know how you cope with it but um you seem to like you're doing an amazing job but I guess it, it will get lighter as you go through I, I think maybe in about 25 years when I retire <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know what is the honest answer I've got no idea <laughs> oh well I hope for your sake that it gets uh, slightly lighter um at some point and and that the kids know how lucky they are that they've inherited you as their <laughs> head teacher as well thanks time will tell I suppose <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me tonight we've, we've whizzed through um and I've, i i hope maybe we should have you back in a, a couple of years and be like now a couple of years in how's it going and uh see how you got on oh yeah ho hopefully the enthusiasm won't have gone i might have a very different story to tell by then <laughs> just be like how much coffee are you having <laughs> but um thank you for listening if you've joined us halfway through or missed any of it then you can listen uh back on teacher talk radio to the show um also don't forget we're at the bet conference next week if you want to come and meet us and come chat to us we're at our stand and also don't forget our lovely sponsors over at john cat education they have some amazing books on leadership and like we said You've got, to, you've got to read and be knowledgeable and know what's going on. And they've got some of the best educational resources over there. So do go have a look at their website and see what they've got on there. And I will see you next week. Have a lovely week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.